These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they're, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Open Journal Podcast. My name is Mike and I hope you're well out there. Thank you so much for joining me again for another awesome conversation. And in this episode, we're joined by another new guest. Dave is with us today. We're going to be talking a little bit about Dave's lived experience with mental health and well-being and his journey through his lived experience, but also becoming a creator and someone that speaks online about mental health and well-being, and also as an award winner at this year's Mental Health Blog Awards. So it's a really interesting conversation. We touch on a lot of different topics. We talk about podcasts, uh, streaming, uh, an element of kind of educating and empowerment, uh, self-acceptance and celebration, and a lot of other things in there as well. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And as I say, a big thank you to Dave for giving up time, for coming on and for sharing his insights, lived experience and expertise as well. Hopefully you really enjoy this episode. If you do, please do leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps other people discover the podcast and the conversations that we're having here. Equally, if you think you might be interested in coming on and sharing some of your lived experience and expertise in the future you can have a look at the website on how to become a guest and get in contact uh, and the website is openjournalbc.com so go and have a look there about being a guest and here we go with this fortnight's episode once again a big thank you to dave for sharing his insights i hope you enjoy our conversation here we go Hi Dave, it's really nice to to be sat down with you and to have the opportunity to chat. How is how is your week been? Um, my week, well, it's only Tuesday, uh, so is it even <laughs> Tuesday? Yes, it's been it's been good. Um, weirdly, I I was I, I had a very brief trip to Amsterdam at the weekend just for like a day and so. And like the last time I saw your face, I was also in Amsterdam. I was at TwitchCon, and uh, I shouldn't have been watching the Mental Health Blog Awards because I was at a conference, <laughs> but I was watching the Mental Health Blog Awards. So it feels like I will now always associate you with Amsterdam because I've just had a trip this weekend. <laughs> but it was funny because we went years back and my wife was like, we wasn't really interested in it so much. It was like, it was February for my birthday. And then I went for TwitchCon, middle of summer, and it was a completely different vibe. And I was like FaceTiming here while I was walking around. She's like, we need to go back. So that was her. How we ended up with a random oh. trip for like two days this weekend so yeah this week just feels like it's just getting going for me i guess right now 
Yeah, it's it's really. I was on a call with someone earlier today, and I was like, "Is it Tuesday? Is it Monday? Is it <laughs> is it Monday?" I was so sure. I was so sure for a good like five to ten minutes of that call, it was Monday, and I got myself a bit confused. Um, it's really interesting to hear, um, and we'll come on to some of the stuff you're doing with Twitch and streaming, and I think that's a really interesting place to be. But how was Amsterdam, just in general? It was really good. It was sunny again, um, but like so that was nice. Um, you know we. We did a bit of sightseeing. We got, we got, we had some food. Had a lot of drinks. Far too many drinks, to be perfectly honest. As a mental health advocate, I probably should drink less. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really nice to just, you know, get a couple of days. It was quite action packed because it was a short time. And, uh, but yeah, really, really, really enjoyed it. As I say, went, went for like a few years back, and we just, we never thought we'd ever go again because we were like, it's a smallish town. You kind of see all the sights mm. in a short space of time. And yeah, it was just completely utterly different in the summer. So really enjoyed it. Oh wow! I think um, I, I, I still really miss like city breaks, mm -hmm. like those sort of three or four days um, going out to a city. I'm, I'm I haven't quite got back in the, the like the routine of booking stuff in and planning it and doing annual leave and everything. I, I need to get better at that. So it's really nice to hear when people have been places and and. Just like, oh, yes, okay, I need to organize this. I need to get back on this. Oh, to be honest, um, I'm terrible at like booking time off and holidays and stuff. And like, it's uh, we, everyone else, uh, like anyone from my community, people like, you are always away. It's like, yes, because my wife is obsessed <laughs> with travel. Um, I've picked up the bug from her quite a bit, but because we've been self employed, it's like, it's always been a, you know, it's always a bit of a double edged sword taking time off. I'm not into the whole grind culture of never taking time off, but like for me it's like planning it and stuff i i'm terrible at but thankfully she's not so 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 as a result of that she does all that planning stuff i think if it was left to me uh you know uncomfortable to admit <laughs> but if it was left to me we'd probably do like a last minute holiday and like maybe where, where the flight's tomorrow or something silly and yeah it's uh it's been interesting over the years that she knows she'll like get in touch with my clients if she wants to surprise me with taking me away and stuff and then i'm like this is weird my clients aren't getting back to me can confirm sessions for this weekend <laughs> but i've never done it the other way around where i've like got in touch with their boss and been like can we get some annual leave so yeah but yeah it was a uh, definitely fun that's a, that's a lot of organizing, I think, to organize a partner as well as yourself. I think she's uh, she's done a lot of work there. To well, I know it. we don't look it, but I did turn 40 this year, so she had to do a little bit of sneaky planning um, behind <laughs> my back. So, <laughs> Oh, amazing. It really, yeah, really, really nice to hear. And I think um, you mentioned uh, a few people that are listening might know you from some of the stuff with the Mental Health Blog Awards and doing really well there as well. Um, how does it kind of feel to start to have well I say start because kind of that's where I've started to pick up some more knowledge of, of the things you're doing over the last year or so but to start to have that recognition or or does it feel no, different it, now? it absolutely does um I don't know if you can see but my my award's right there just oh I can see in the background <laughs> it's, there it's, it is. it's in pride of place over there um it's an interesting one so about when was it? November 2020. So yeah, in November 2020, um, we won, a, me and my, uh, my, the person, well, I say my partner, like what is he? He's my boss, I suppose, in the NHS, as well as doing stuff just as Mindset by Dave. I do some stuff with the NHS as well. And uh, we won something called a Point to Light Award from the Prime Minister. 
Um, so all of now the now former prime minister, <laughs> but but yeah, so that and it was and I I remember kind of giving a speech and uh, about I had to give give like a bit of a quote to some like uh, like I think it was like the Lancashire Evening Post or something. They were like, "What do you, um, you know, what do you have to say about this?" And uh, is it great to have that recognition? And I was like, "It is. It's fantastic to have the recognition, but it's one of those things that I always believed in the work in the first place." Um, so it was nice to have. Um, it was nice for me. The actual Mental Health Blog Award was actually nicer than the one from the Prime Minister, even though people might go, oh, "Well, you know, we like think about levels or them or whatever." But to me, it's like it's about who votes for those things um and it was for me for the for the the, the points of light where it came out completely completely out of nowhere whereas with the mental health blog award it was like voted for by members of my community and it was voted for by you know by the judges on the day and stuff who've like taken an actual direct interest in the work and been like actually yeah we think this deserves some recognition so it was um as i said to you before i was in twitchcon and um so i was in actually in a, in a conference and i had um i had the mental health blog awards in one ear whilst i was watching this other thing and first of all i'm trying to think who it was but like one of um, someone ah uh, one of the early awards it was it was someone i know through through like doing collaborations and stuff um mm. one and i was like oh that was well deserved and i basically clapped in the room <laughs> and i had about four people look around at me because I'm, you know, and in this talk about how to, I think it was how to use, um, like game integration, interactive game integration in your game in your chat or whatever. And so it was mm. completely off topic. And I'm just, I'm just there, like actually letting out a little round of applause. And then, um, and then I won mine, and I let out a little kind of cheer. And it was like, I just didn't, I, just, I was like, uh, I wasn't embarrassed in the slightest, but I was looking around thinking like everyone in this room's like, what's that chair? Who is this person that's just making all these random noises? <laughs> and you at the time said, can you come on? And I was just like in the chat box, like frantically typing. It's like, I would absolutely <laughs> love to come on and talk right now, uh -huh. but it's just not possible. Um, but the one part that I was embarrassed about was there was a bit where I walked out to the outside area. And I was listening away and I think my phone unmuted itself in my pocket whilst one of the speakers uh, was talking. And I was just like, oh, no, because like, you know, I've I've been interrupted as a speaker myself. It's not the most fun thing. And I'm like, no, I'm that person. So, but yeah, um, yeah, get, get absolutely 100 percent. Again, the recognition is it's phenomenal. Uh, but there's a big important thing that I always tell. I, I talk about self-esteem to my clients and to my community all the time. And I think for me, it's it's I've had that belief in what I'm doing for about out of the seven years I've been doing it, I've had that belief in it for about four and a half of them. I'm not sure exactly where that there was a point where I was like cautiously doing these things. And then there was a point where I was like, you know what? Like I've looked everywhere for I've looked for the external recognition my entire life. Um, you know, we could delve into that for an hour if you wanted. It's totally it's, it's daddy issues. That's what it was. Dad, you know, didn't have the recognition from my own from my own family growing up, especially my dad. So I craved it. Like I know I craved it well into the well into my professional career. And I'd actually have mentors that anytime they said well done, it was like, you know someone had just given me like a hit of cocaine or something it was like that that let like someone saying well done to me just hit me like a powerful drug uh, and a few years back i kind of finally figured out i was hold on a minute self-esteem starts with this little four-letter word called self and i started um basically 
congratulating myself for what I was doing, regardless of whether it was getting picked up on or not. And yeah, so it's it's that weird thing that it's like now I've got that as well, which is cool. So it's uh, and uh, it goes back to what one of my mentors once told me actually, which was uh, once probably the most powerful piece of advice I've ever had which was he said to me, uh, you need to decide that you're an authority and not wait around for anybody to tell you you are. Um, and, and that's one of those things that was a 10 second comment for him, but has kind of stuck with me for about five or so years now. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's really, really helped. And as I say, getting the recognition from the outside just builds on top of that foundation but there's an i think there's an important thing about it that is that if anyone out there is thinking about like awards and stuff and going for them i often say to people like people say oh if you you know you'll no one will ever love you if you don't love yourself which is not correct people plenty of people love people that don't love themselves the thing is that it's more like if you don't love yourself it doesn't matter who else does and if you do love yourself it doesn't matter who else does so if you um if you want those awards and things like that and that external recognition to really mean something that you've got to you've got to kind of basically go in on you yourself you've got to you've got to be like look i deserve this and this is proof that i deserve this as opposed to okay this is here but it was a fluke or anything like that you know it's it's believing in yourself and your ability to actually to actually deserve those awards otherwise Otherwise, they'll just be like what I was saying about when someone used to tell me well done and it used to be this short hit and then and then I'd be craving the next one. You know, it's like I haven't I haven't ran around looking for new awards to sign up for just yet. You know, I'm not like <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting you said say kind of about like what why or how to have that mindset before you put yourself forward. Cause I think if if you win one you you definitely deserve it mm -hmm. but i think it's also really important i think particularly within kind of mental health and health areas um there are a lot of people that deserve it that don't win it and i think yeah. that's that balance of kind of it's really i think it's really uh, a really positive thing to put yourself forward and to kind of celebrate the stuff you're doing and kind of potentially have that feedback from other people as well but I think placing the value on on winning is you just can't because there's always going to be such a limited opportunity to as good as you can be and as much as you can have achieved mm -hmm. um, that the likelihood it, there's only one person that can win an award that um, I think that's the the really tricky thing that until you've got it afterwards is that you can then place some value on it because you've got it yeah yeah well as as well as that is the fact that um you know, I I know that if I'd have if I'd have gone for because I was in I was in for three categories. I was shortlisted for creative of the year, which I got, um, project of the year, and uh, podcast of the year. I believe was the three that I was up for. And I know that the me of like five years ago or stuff before I started kind of like believing in me would have come away from that and then the little the brain goblins you know would have been like you know but you, you may have won that one but you you didn't win the other two and mm. it's like and it's a weird thing it's like it's like whenever we get like when when we do like we don't get a job interview or whatever it it's or an award our brain especially if you've been come through trauma as a you know in your, in your early life your brain goes back to that whole thing of i'm not good enough and mm. in reality, it's like, okay, well, I know that I know 
the other people that were in my categories. And I know that any one of them was good enough to have beaten me. You know, it's like, mm. um, you know, I was up against BPD Brian, who's a creator I absolutely love in, in one of the categories. And when I saw that, I was like, oops, well, that's that one gone. <laughs> that's, the, that's that one gone. Um, but it's it's one of those things that um it's not about you not being good enough. It's just about there's only one person that can win it. And mm. it's so I think I think you've got to be you've got to be prepared for the uh, the fact that you might win, which a lot of people aren't. But you've also got to be prepared for the fact that you might lose. And um, mm. and it's the same as like, you know, you run a podcast. I run a podcast as well. And a lot of people will come forward to me to actually ask to be on the podcast. And I've said to I've said to some people in the past, it's like, like, don't ask if you're not if people are to be on their podcast, if you're not prepared for it to be a no. It's like you should expect, you should hope for a yes. You should be thinking that mm. you're ready for a yes. But um, I've, because, because, I, I, well, this was to somebody who I, I very rarely say no. So if anyone's listening and they want to be on a podcast, please don't, because I very rarely say no. I, I don't <laughs> like making anybody feel like, le- like, you know, like they're not good enough or anything like that. Um, I so I, I, I know exactly far too well what that feels like. But, um, but on this one time, I actually said no. And, a, and the person got, quite upset with me and I was and I said look I said it's 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 not on me to say yes to every single person that comes forward mm-hmm. and this and, and and um you know it's like I said it's all well and good to go for these shots I'm very much a person of the whole you, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take right but mm-hmm. you also miss some of the shots you do take and that's okay you you have to be okay with you have to be okay with with missing you know you have to be okay with that i quite i do this thing called i call shooting my shot day like once every six months or so where i think you know what i'm gonna reach out to a bunch of people that are you know air quotes too big to say yes Mm. to be on the podcast and i'll just I'll, i'll message about 20 of them in one day and then forget who I've messaged, which is the best thing for me, because then when no one replies or when one person out of the 20 replies, my brain doesn't go, ah, oh, but the mm. 19 didn't. Because yeah. th- again, that's the type of mindset that I had sort of seven-ish years ago. Like I'd have focused on who said no. I'd have mm. focused on who, you know, or who didn't reply. And yeah, um, the thing is you are going to miss some of those shots. So for me in that situation of like winning one, Winning one was just winning one to me now. Whereas if it had been five years ago, Dave, it had been you won one, but you didn't win two. And yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to kind of like, yeah, it's it so much comes down to how you package it yourself. And that's not, that's not, both of those stories are objectively true. I won one of them and I didn't win the other two. That is objectively true. But how I package mm. that and how I think about that in my head and the level of importance I give to those things. Uh, because we've got something in our brains that you probably had talked about on the podcast a million times called negativity bias. You know, our brains are actually primed to look up mm. and notice things that could hurt us. They, they look, they're there to notice times that the person that didn't clap or the person that unfollowed you or the whatever it might. Well, actually, it you know, historically, you were supposed to notice like the saber tooth tiger at the edge of town or the, you know, the, the warring tribe heading your way. Now we notice things like who didn't follow you on TikTok or whatever. So it's, <laughs> and our brain treats it as if it's the exact same level of a threat as well. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's, it's, it's a really interesting point because it's so, it's relevant to everyone. But when it's kind of linked into when we're talking about kind of mental health and particularly illnesses and symptoms, 
it really kind of leans into a lot of other areas as well, doesn't it? When you're sort of leaning towards that negative mindset or hyper aware of those kind of really, really potential dangers mm-hmm. or potential slights, I think is it's being mindful of that imbalance that it can create. And I think that's where, um, like you say, hopefully as part of a, a community of people, and I think everyone builds up their own community. I'm not a massive believer in the, there is one community and we're all part of that. I think that can cause some of its own problems. Yeah. I think you create your own. And I think that's where hopefully people are kind of experiencing that journey. Like you said, where um, there is a gradual process of, firstly building up that confidence to share things and then working out how you kind of celebrate and recognize those as you grow along the way whatever that looks like for that person yeah um I think that's really tricky and we're now in the I think the really positive place where as you mentioned there's lots of mental health related podcasts there's lots of mental health related um content creators and projects um but that also potentially for some people creates that opportunity to to kind of judge against other people that um, just, I don't know, it feels like that's an imbalanced thing. And it's kind of an unfair way to judge because you'll have uh, different things that you're both aiming for different lived experience is that are going to impact kind of how you grow and develop um, just as an individual, as well as a creative. So I think there's a lot that kind of fits into that journey. I guess um, it'd be really interesting for people that maybe don't know you as well to hear a little bit about just kind of how did your journey start in terms of being a, a like a creative or a, someone that shares their lived experience? Yeah. Um, so I think I've been a creative my entire life. Maybe not a creator, but um, mm. like I've I've been a musician since I was six, um, which was incidentally the same time that my dad left when I was six as well. So a lot weirdly, probably like, you know, two very important things that happened is one, I started playing the piano at that age and the other one was, you know, my daddy issues were formed, I guess. And I, so I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 14 years old. I am now 40. Uh, so, you know, I've had 26 years of a joyful diagnosis. And because dad wasn't around and my mum was um, setting up a business to essentially keep a roof over our head. And I didn't, I kind of, it's it's funny like looking back is I had to be quiet. I had to be out of the way. I had to, you know, my dad worked shift work. And so I, I saw him very infrequently. But when I did see him, he'd often be in bed and I'd have to be quiet. And for my mum, we had to, that business was being formed in our house, which was a tiny little house in Liverpool at the time. And um, and so I had to stay out of the way and stay quiet, which is ironic because now I never shut up. And um so I went off and ended up getting diagnosed on my own, which was, you know, an interesting experience. And I didn't really interact very well with my mental health until I was in my sort of mid to late 20s. And it was around that time um, that basically I'd kind of just experienced bipolar disorder in the whole you have the high, you have the low and there is nothing in between. And I always, I thought, but like, if I look back at like my cringeworthy Facebook posts from when Facebook was first a thing, yeah, like I've always been the type of person that wants to put like little bits of motivation and little speeches and stuff out into the world. I mean, mum used to always joke around saying that, you know, if you could get paid for talking, um, I'd be, you know, a millionaire. Well, I get paid for talking now. I'm not a millionaire, but <laughs> so she was half. But she was. But I do get paid for talking, which is, you know, quite nice. And um, but I had that whole 
in that that whole imposter syndrome thing and the whole uh, which was always that question of, well, who am I to say these things? And some of my friends would be like, oh, you know, you're really good at this. Like you really can. You're going to be one of my friends actually outright said to me when I was about 25, he's like, you're going to be a motivational speaker one day. And I still don't know where he got that from at the time. Mm. And um, he's like, you know, it's just it's just like you. that's just. And I think basically they kind of it's when my friends saw me on manic days and on manic days, I want everybody to share in the joy and the high energy that I've got and all the rest of it. And most of my friends thought I was on drugs and I wasn't. It's like they're like, we want a bit of what you've got. It's like, I've got bipolar disorder. It's like, it's, so, so that was like the early stage, but it wasn't until um I kind of ruined my first marriage in my mid-20s. And because I still basically I didn't believe I was loved. Like that's that that phrase of like, if you don't love yourself, no, you you'll never feel you're not not that no one else will ever love you. My first wife loved me. Mm. I didn't accept it. I couldn't accept it. I thought of myself as unlovable. Um, and I, you know, I'd basically just destroyed the the marriage. And then I went on a very self-destructive streak off the back of that. Um, I'd always been dealing with, um, my own self, not, not self-care, but my own coping mechanisms were food. I had an eating disorder from about 12, um, and then alcohol later on. And then once the marriage fell apart, drugs kicked in very, very quickly because, I was the most staunch anti-drugs person on the face of the planet before this. Like, you know, hadn't even touched weed or anything. I was like, I got to like my mid twenties without even trying gateway drugs or anything. And, uh, and then just went for it. Went like, you know, biz was, was kind of like, oh, I've already messed up everything else. What's the point? Why not? And went straight in like to a, quite a long period of like doing class A drugs. And, um, then got into a really toxic relationship in that time and basically lost all of my non-drug taking friends because that's what happens especially i'm I, you know i'm i'm kind of a brutally honest person so i didn't do any of this in the shadows <laughs> it was like i was just like yeah i'm doing drugs now you know i tell i told my non-drug taking friends and i was like did this at the weekend i really enjoyed it you know and that was the kind of my to the pointness about it which has actually served me quite well when it comes to talking about mental health because you know it's quite good to be to the point with it Mm. um but you know all of my old friends didn't want to do that didn't want to be around that couldn't understand it couldn't understand how i'd gone from where i was to this and uh and then so you get left in a position where the only friends you've got left are the ones that you do drugs with and that's all you do with those friends you know mm. and um and then in this relationship she was just a very jealous type and got between me and every single one of my friends and the few members of my family that were still speaking to me i ended up in a position in 2009 um where i just had nothing left and then she and i like i'd left i basically lost everything to be with this girl and then we broke up um and i just genuinely felt like i had nothing left to give whatsoever and uh, in two well, in august 2009 so 13 years and a month ago um i tried to take my own life and thankfully failed and um i'd love to say that you know straight after the failure i was like yeah okay that was it that was the wake up call i needed but it wasn't i was just thinking of more and i was just thinking more and more of like potentially trying again and um I'd, I'd I'd rented this film off. I'm not. I think it was. It might have been the very early days of Netflix. If not, it was the tail end of Blockbuster Video, and I was, you know, just trying to do something to kind of. Do, I was like looking at all the things that they say is good for your mind. So I'm like, I'm going to learn another language because that's good for your mind. I was also learning a martial art at the time, so I was doing the, all these things that are, you know supposed to be good for your brain. 
uh, whilst going through the worst mental health I'd ever been in my life. And I'd rented, in, in one of my ways of, of learning a language was I'd rented for a bunch of French films and I'd rented this French film called A Dive and Bell and the Butterfly. And uh, it's a true story about the the director of French L magazine. And um, basically he got into a car crash and then after the car crash, essentially woke up with locked in syndrome. All he could do was move his eyes, you know, like he'd oh. like, um, so he could only move his eyes and he found, figured out a way to communicate with the nurse to move his eyes so that he could write a book. And um, he wrote this book and it's the true story of kind of what, of, of his sort of, of his last days when he's, um, when he's got locked in syndrome. And there's an, there's this section in the movie where it's father's day and they take him to the beach with his kids and it's, they have to go through all this procedure to make sure he gets out there and he's safe. Uh, because he's got a, you know, he's got like breathing tubes and wires and all sorts of machines keeping him alive. And he's on the beach and he's watching his kids play. And there's a 50 50 chance of whether I'll cry at this point. This is why I have tissues on my desk. It's fine. Um, and um, he's watching his kids play and he can't interact with them in any way, shape, or form. And he just says, um, I realize that even a sliver, even a shadow of a dad is still a dad. And uh, I have two kids from my first marriage who, at this point, would have been two and four. There's 15 and 17 now. So what did I say? 13 years ago. So yeah, that, okay, cool. The maths never quite like I, I like as every year goes by, the maths gets like more and more questions. Harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I genuinely 100% believe that they'd be better off without me. 100%. Uh, I'm going, you know, World Suicide Prevention Day on Saturday this week, so I'll most likely be talking about this this week anyway. Um, I 100% believe that I had nothing left to give and I 100% believe that the world would be better off without me. And I 100% believe that the be the only way that my kids could ever have a good dad is if I got out of the picture and their mum married someone else. Now, their mum has gone on to marry someone else. I've gone on to marry someone else. Um, I'm still in the picture. My, my kids now have four parents who all love them. Um, and yeah from that point on i went on i was like i was it was i had to pause the film i was broken at that point i was just crying my eyes out and there was some, like literally like a switch went on it on in my head saying you know like you got you think your kids deserve a better dad how about that be you and i was just like and i believed it and I went on this big, giant self-improvement journey. And that was one of the points where I suppose I didn't realize the self-esteem thing until years later, but the self-improvement part of it, one of the big things I realized then was that I am the type of person that looks after everybody else. I'm still that person. And I was always a bit of a peacekeeper in my family. I was always, you know, like, and, and all of that. And, and I've, I'm, I am the friend that everybody goes to, and I'm not the friend to ask for help very often. I'm getting better at that. And um, yeah, there's, that's a very quick way to burn yourself out. It's also as and it, and it's also a thing that if you are that person, chances are you'll have a lot of people that not maliciously, but they will take from you because you're offering or you say yes or all the time or because when they do ask you, you do a great job, and um, there won't be a lot of people who will come to you and offer you help. And it's not, again, it's not a malicious thing. It's not a they don't care thing. It's just roles within friendships and relationships. There are the people that are known to be the person that you go to. And uh, I, I imagine a bunch of people will recognize this phrase is like when you finally do open up to somebody else 
they'll say something along the lines of how can you need help? You're always the one that's helping everybody else. Mm. To which I think is a, makes about as much logical sense as driving your car around all day. And then when it runs out of petrol saying, how can you need petrol? You've been driving me around all day. It's mm. of course the people that help need help. But if you're always seen as being the strong one, if you're always seen as being the peacekeeper and all of it, people think that you've got everything together. And then when you've not, they don't, they don't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit mm. right. Um, and in order to be the best dad I could possibly be, I had to be the best Dave I could possibly be first. I had to, I took charge of my own physical health. I took charge of my own mental health. I started doing yoga and meditation daily. I went back to the martial arts and all the rest of that stuff. I, um, I, you know, started rebuilding friendships and like the ones that I could rebuild are rebuilt and the ones that I couldn't, I kind of learned to let go of. And then it was years into that i was working i ran i ran a recording studio at the time and i love as uh, music was my first passion it was the first thing that i became a creative with and uh, it wasn't working as a business at all like i loved it but it wasn't working i couldn't i wasn't me paying the bills with it and i knew that i've just gone from years of working in a job that i love following one of my passions as that lovely piece of advice that was so cliched about five years ago um was uh was telling me to do and then you had to follow another one of my passions and one of one of my passions was becoming a, was uh was working out and training and i became a personal trainer and then along the way of becoming a personal trainer i was never the type of person to go right i'm just going to learn how to move a few weights around and teach people that i was like right i'm obsessed with the nutrition elements of it i'm obsessed with the habit change elements of it and it started a nutrition degree that i got most of the way through i don't know if i regret this or not because i don't do anything with nutrition anymore um apart from argue with people that have seen one article on the internet and think they know more about it than the person with two diplomas <laughs> but hey ho um but halfway through the nutrition degree there was this there was all this all these modules on mindset and coaching which basically i talked to like a duck to water like it was like and it was like we were in the class that we were in there was every other student was like i want to do them i want to do my 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 examples with dave because i was like having breakthroughs with people in the room and all sorts of this when i've just learned this stuff and like everyone was like oh, it doesn't quite make sense and i'm like what all of this makes total sense as if as if i'd been doing it my whole life and i think mm -hmm. years of being in therapy are bloody like <laughs> i've had probably clearly instead of doing my own work in therapy i've been sat there watching what the therapist was doing <laughs> all this time but um yeah and then it was around that exact same time that 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 um, mentor of mine said to me you've got to decide you're an authority and not and i and it was weird because on nutrition on training i didn't really think i was this authority and i asked myself what am i an authority on and the answer came back i'm an authority on my life um so i i only had only had um a physical training page at the time the mindset by dave stuff wasn't there at all it was like cofit personal training and that was it i was just going to add in this mindset stuff as like extra elements to what it was uh, and i went to facebook and opened up about my own mental health told about my journey until that point and uh it hit with a lot of people uh in ways that the fitness content never did and I was like, okay, well, I felt like the world of physical health was pretty oversaturated. I didn't really feel like I could add anything new to bring to the table. But with the mental health stuff, I was like, okay, well, if my story helps one person, um, then that's great. And uh, mm. started off just talking about those things. And then um, basically four years ago, I launched a project called A Life A Day, which was 
basically supposed to be a random act of kindness every single day for a year, which after about five days into January, I was like, I need to, I need a new idea every single day. And it's like, and, and I don't know what people want and I don't people know what people need. And, and, and it stressed me out. So I was like, right, I'll have an hour's conversation with a different person every hour, uh, every, one, on average, one person per day. And, uh, and because I wasn't going to charge anybody for it or anything like that, there was I felt like there was this zero pressure on me to do anything mm. other than just be a listening ear and a good friend. And yeah, it turned out that I was really good at it. Um, I went in just before all that started as well. I um, I was supposed to be given a nutrition seminar at the gym I worked at, and I asked the owner, I was like, "Do you mind if I do it on mindset instead?" And he was like, "Sure, you know." If you sell the tickets, I don't care, basically. <laughs> and, um, which is the most lackluster, but probably best response I could ever wanted. Uh, and I did, you know, I sold the tickets and I filled the room and and I basically spoke for two straight hours in this ridiculously high energy state the whole time. And I was just like, this is what I want to do forever. Mm. And um, it's still my favorite part of my job is doing seminars. And um, so... So yeah, I um I did that and then I did this did did this thing you know for a year. So three, by I got a little bit ahead of schedule because I was like it's very hard to schedule one person per every single day. So some days I'd do like ten, yeah. <laughs> and so by November of 2018, yeah, I'd um, I'd spoken to 365 different people, and I started noticing common themes, common things that people were struggling with. Um, and I started making content around those common themes and it just hit and hit and hit. And one thing that I kind of get compliments on a lot is that I can, I take complex stuff and I make it like easy to digest. And especially like one thing I really love doing with that is I, I like taking mental health stuff that you really, you need to have lived through in order to understand it and then making it easy to digest for somebody who hasn't lived through it. Um, I think there's a lot of power in that, like putting that into an analogy. Um, so for example, uh, like I'll, the analogy I'll often give to someone about what it's like living with depression is I'll say it's imagine, you know, if, if you, we all know that Usain Bolt can run the hundred meters in like nine seconds or 8.9 seconds, whatever it might be. Um, we all know he's like the fastest person ever to have done that. If we were to put that hundred meter track on a 5% incline, we wouldn't expect him to run it at 10, you know, in 10, under 10 mm. seconds. If we were to put it on a 10% incline, we'd expect it to be slower. It's the same exact same distance, but we understand that the difficulty is objective. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, the difficulty is based on the incline. I was like, so when someone with depression does the exact same thing as you, they're running on a steep incline. So it might mm. take them longer. And if it doesn't take them longer, then you've got to understand how much of an achievement it is. And that's so that's the type of like type of content that mm. I put out there is trying to make trying to help people with with mental health, first of all, know that they're not alone and first of all, understand their own conditions better. But one big thing I love trying to do is trying to get your loved ones and your friends to understand your conditions a little bit better, because in my eyes, that's that's how we get rid of the stigma, really. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So many <laughs> I told amazing you, you don't need to ask me one question. Yeah, yeah. So many amazing <laughs> things in there that I could come back to. Um, but no, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's um it's really interesting to hear and really important to to share as well. Um kind of just towards the end as well, you're talking about that idea of um kind of educating the people that are around this rather than maybe directly affected that aren't necessarily the person that are 
um, diagnosed or struggling with an illness. Um, and I think that feels like an area that is is changing more where, yeah, all of all of the stigma and the lack of education still exists very much so. But th there does seem to be an increase in terms of people wanting to know something or wanting to be able to better support a friend or family member. Yeah. Does that feel like that's something that's kind of changed when you're talking about your journey and the experience you've gone through and kind of being part of a lot of those different um different stories and conversations does that feel like that's something that's kind of changed over time or are we just more aware of it now um yeah i would say i would say definitely that there's um i think i think weirdly covid gave us more empathy um covid like without people realizing it covid helped us to understand what it's like to live with health anxiety like on a smaller scale um covid mm. going back to work or back to social situations could help a person understand what it's like to live with social anxiety and um one of the things i found kind of ironic but a little bit hilarious was at the beginning of um lockdown is my clients with health anxiety and my clients with social anxiety were just like it's just business as normal it's like we've been prepared <laughs> for this i've been you know i've got i've got one client in particular we're quite we're quite um quite bad ocd it was a terrible way to explain it because there's no such thing as a little bit of ocd or um but like a particular ocd towards germs and to, to contamination mm. and like at first like the the jump up to COVID didn't even bother her in the slightest and she was just like well there's just more people around me that understand what I'm going through now <laughs> so I think I think COVID did that um COVID also helped us to see things like um like accommodations that we can make for people with disabilities so you know for years people a lot you know disabled people have often wanted the options to work from home and it was like now it's not possible it's like whereas now you know we've seen that it but there is a lot of things that actually are possible there are a lot of solutions that are possible and it also pushed people into integrating with communities online more because they weren't they weren't able to be with their regular face-to-face -face in real life friend group mm. so i feel like i feel like that exposure is there and i think also within this isn't perfect but it's getting there within within certain cross interest groups so within we have in my mental health community we have a lot of people from the chronic illness community we have a lot of people from chronic pain communities we have a lot of people from the disabled community we have a lot of people from um from black lives matter communities or we have a large number of people from the lgbtqia2 plus community and i think there's a lot of more intersectionality happening mm. now than has ever happened before um where where it was like my group suffers your group suffers too i know what it's like to suffer and rather than saying my group suffering is worse than your suffering or vice versa because every group thinks that their group suffering is worse than every other group and it doesn't help anybody mm -hmm. <laughs> we'd also it doesn't matter if you if you're suffering you're suffering you don't need to it doesn't need to be justified as to how big that suffering is we should accept it when someone's suffering um whether it's something we think we'd suffer with or not is irrelevant mm but um there's a lot more intersectionality so so you will get you'll get people within the mental health community that are sympathizers because they have a family member with a disability and they know what it's like to care for a person with a physical disability so they might be interested in hearing about what it is to do with that um also we so the the stuff i do with the nhs is working in schools um and we have 
a huge interest from the parents um, of wanting to wanting to understand um, how to. And that was what we won that other award for was a show called The Mental Health Family Hour, which was the whole purpose of it was to bridge that gap between what the parents know about mental health and what the kids mm. know about mental health and helping them communicate within with, within each other. And I think there's a lot more willingness to it, absolutely. And um, I, you know, obviously we want it to be, you know, you want it to be 100%. But at the same time, and I don't hear this talked about enough, to be perfectly honest, is the fact that I understand that you might be out there learning about one of the other communities that I've just talked about. So if you're if you're out there learning about the disabled community, but you're not out there learning about the mental health community right now, I totally and utterly understand that you are one person. Um, mm. I know that my work was not particularly intersectional when I first started doing it, and it's something I've had to pick up and learn along the way. Um, but <clears throat> there is a little bit of pressure now on the idea that you must be involved in absolutely every cause at the same time. And that can lead to a lot of ineffective activism because mm. you burn out or you're not fighting the fight that you're aiming to fight as well as you could be. So it's so yes, I think there is definitely room for more intersectionality. But at the same time, I think people do need to know that it's okay to to focus on a specific topic at a specific time. Uh, so, so at the, yeah, that's what, you know, that's kind of one thing I'd say to people is like, if you're out there learning about the point of view of somebody else, um, you can't do that. You can't do that for every group at the same time. So I appreciate that people are out there doing that, whether it's for my group and, you know, mm. or not, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a big thing. Like you say, I think more and more, maybe even more so through, through the last couple of years, it does feel like. Um, in a positive way all of these different causes all of these different experiences that people have um, struggles or difficulties with sometimes successes but we're often talking about the struggles yeah. um, that they're they've gained more of a voice they've gained more recognition and more publicity and that's really important but like you say then there's this pressure to make sure you're on top of all of these different agendas or campaigns and that can take time and I think for some people there's a a larger journey to go on than others and yeah i think as you touched on there it's not always just learning these things um it's it's kind of evolving them as part of who you are and if you're someone that's affected by one or possibly more than one of those causes it's going to take longer to really absorb that yeah um and i think even within the kind of the mental health field if you think of someone that has lived experience of a particular illness or symptoms and they are just sharing within that field there's still a journey that that person goes on in terms of how to um, speak about their lived experience in a way that they are happy with and then one that is maybe more articulate or one that signposts to services and that's just within their kind of their field or their yeah. community yeah. Um, without kind of adding in everything else that's going on so there there's there's all i think there's quite a large journey there yes it's like ta it's taking those steps but not taking them to the point of like overwhelming because i know a lot of new mm. newer creators um when they first get into putting content out there it's probably not going to be as intersectional as it could be it's probably going to be spoken from their point of view and that's mm. totally not that that's that, i think that's fine as a starting point um because mm. i think that if we expect everybody to be absolutely perfect and impeccable with their word 
within the second of content creation it's like we're forgetting the fact that the rest of us were not perfect on the on day one <laughs> and are still not and will yeah. i will look back in 10 years at what i'm saying today and be like i could have said that so much better now um and it's about having that but but at the same time there are there are you know certain there are certain people and certain creators that like if you try and kind of bring up over topics that they probably should be concerned about will just shut it down completely so i think there's um there's a difference between, that, there's a difference between, we talk about i talk about this on my with my community all the time it's the difference between ignorance and willful ignorance it's like mm. if something's never been brought to your attention and you don't know about it, that's fine but if something gets brought to your attention and then you try and brush it under the carpet that's a little bit messier <laughs> we struggle as well with just saying I don't know, or oh, like I'm not that's, sure. That's like, been my get out of jail free card since day one. It's why I never get scared about um. Yeah. I never get scared about Q and A. I love Q and A. Yeah. I love doing, as I said to you at the beginning, as like I love doing podcasts and I love not knowing the questions. But I, but my reason for that has been that I call it my get out of jail free card. Is I will say I don't know, and I don't this feel so, like I have this pressure yeah. on me suddenly to to know the answer to absolutely everything. I think there is. I think that's a powerful place to be to be comfortable to say that yeah um because i think it is something a lot of people struggle with and i still feel this this need to like um I'll, i'm happy to say i don't know but i feel bad when i say it for like why don't i know why don't <laughs> i know about like this project or this cause that someone's talking about why have i not heard about it or or researched it before um but there is only so much that you can kind of take on board and really proactively know about it yeah um well i think I, the was best worth... way i ever heard this said was um because a lot of people are, are often forced to have an opinion on on things very quickly mm. on twitter now mm. and it's it is if someone doesn't speak up on something it becomes noticed that they haven't spoken up on that and we are as well it's like we're we it's like we don't all get the exact same news like you know yep. england doesn't get american news america doesn't no, sorry america they don't really care about english news <laughs> and it's and it's one of those things that again a lot of people can expect you to be like okay well this like i'd be like this news affects the mental health community i would not expect everybody in the world to know that this you know like the you know the recent study saying about that um ssr ssr strategy those things that i take um mm. <laughs> antidepressants don't work basically okay. um but it's like it's like those studies coming out then it's like you know not many people outside of the mental health community knew about that and mm. and that's the thing but there there's a there's another creator who is absolutely amazing called imagination um she's a portuguese uh but lives in holland a trans woman streamer um content creator and is one of my like one of basically one of my go-to people when whenever we talk about any trans uh, topics that are coming up because she just speaks about things so phenomenally well and the way she said it was that when you force everybody to have an opinion sometimes they jump to very quick opinions that are very wrong and harmful and quite often mm. speak over the people that are concerned and this has been like a, a source of frustration for me over the last sort of year or so has been the fact that as, as i say i'm i'm constantly aiming to make my the content i make more and um, more intersectional but the last thing i ever want to do is speak over anybody mm. that is um that is speaking up that is literally representing the issue at hand 
Uh, but one big issue we have is that unless if if white people don't talk about race, well, racists don't want to listen to people of color. They want to listen to white people. And that's the price. Mm. That's, that's a problem that's baked into the actual problem itself. And the same is that like a transphobe doesn't want to listen to a trans person talk about trans issues, despite the fact that a trans, obviously all trans people are better at speaking about trans issues than I am because it's not something that I directly impact me, but mm. a transphobe is more likely to listen to me and it's a weird it's a it's a weird sort of like i haven't quite figured out i mean i'm uh, like what the actual right answer is to do there because the last thing i'd rather point someone in the direction of one of those creators that has like so if 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 a trans and a, a sort of a new trans issue comes up rather than mm. me take make a, a crappy opinion on it in five minutes i'd rather like point someone towards emma and ask them like you know ask them to say see what her opinion is on it because her opinion will be much more well informed than mine much more context-based than mine but then at the same time that person's might like if they are transphobic they're going to be like well i'm not going to go and speak to that mm. person i want to hear about it from you and it's uh, but yeah we are pushed into this idea of this you know an opinion needs to be formed so here you go and it's like okay to, to, for me i don't like to form an opinion on things that i don't have all the facts on and getting all the facts on anything is a very big process um it's 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 a, it's a very you know it's a very tricky um mm. it's a very tricky world to navigate and i think even for even for people who are trying their best to do it, I think it's often tricky. But at the same time, I feel like there is more solidarity there than there ever has been. And, um, you know, again, I hope you've got not too much of an American audience right on this, because apart from in America, <laughs> where literally everything seems to be going backwards right now. But, <laughs> but again, that's an English person looking at your news from the outside. I only get what is fed to me over the Internet. <laughs> I do think it is. It's I think. Uh... A really important point to make though like i guess that role you can play as a as an advocate or an ally is to prompt the thought process you're like you say you're not going to be the person to necessarily share lived experience or expertise on that but you can be the one that introduces the topic yeah. or the thought point and like you say being able to signpost to people that you consider to be well informed to have that lived experience or expertise is i think that's the the that should be the aspiration for us i think at this point is to um is it called like are you elevating Amplify. voices or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, is I, I could do the first little bit but it's not me that you should be listening to it's this other person all these other people yeah um and then we can be part of a conversation but i'm not going to be the one that stands up on the stage and do, does the talk yeah it's, yeah it's, absolutely it's not me that's there to be listened to um but I think it's really interesting the kind of the way you were talking through that as well in terms of the conversations that we have online. Mm -hmm. um, and I think particularly over the last couple of years, I imagine th particularly things like streams have really grown in terms of how many people are doing them, how many people are watching them and the types of conversations that are being uh, engaged in there as well. Yeah. Does that feel like that's something that, has kind of changed in the in the last few years or um what has that journey been like yeah well i mean i i planned to go on twitch weirdly about it was about the october or november before the lockdown um and i planned to go on twitch for very very different reasons than what i did um 
I basically one of my friends has been saying about it for a long time. He'd been he'd been watching streamers on there, and he'd been talking about how mental health comes up a lot of times, but no one really knows what the, what to say about it or how to talk about it. Um, and wet like you can get you can get into the cause and effect arguments all the time about this, but there is a lot of mental health within the gaming community. Now, some people want to think that that mental health is there because people game too much. Other people want to think that okay, because you if you meant honestly, gaming is a massively amazing form of escapism for me. Uh, it's one of the healthier of the coping mechanisms that I do. Does it make me do it a little bit longer than I want to? Possibly. Um, yeah, I'd be lying if I said okay, when I said you know when I've said one more game if it hadn't been six more games sometimes, but but um but yeah so i my, i intended to do that and i just never acted on it because i and now the only good side of that was i bought the webcam um in like sort of around christmas 2019 and so then when when lockdown happened uh and i was like so i was at the time i just finished being a personal trainer i i basically i'd been doing the whole mindset by dave and, and personal training alongside each other for three years at that point and um and uh, basically, I was like, right, I can't keep on doing the personal training stuff if I want to do talks up and down the country and all the rest of this and to the level that I do. And I just basically, I just sec you know, secured a bunch of talks for 2020. And I had this goal that I was going to say, I was, I was, my aim was to speak on average twice a month um, and, and, and have one-to-one -one clients around that. And we were in February and I'd already done like six talks and I had like, I think it was 17, like in the calendar. And I was like, wow, like, this is it. This was like, this is my year. I wonder how many people started 2020 saying this is my year. Uh, and then like two weeks into March, um, within the space of 24 hours, all 17 of those things were canceled because all the lockdowns hit. And I was just like, what do I do now? Because if I don't get these thoughts out of my head, uh, I and I'm not, I'm not using the word flippantly here. I literally go a bit insane. Like my symptoms are so much bad if I'm not, if, I, if I'm just thinking and I'm not either writing or talking, whether it's the camera or to, you know, three-dimensional people. Uh, but I didn't have an answer for this then. Like all this pent up energy that I, I mean, when I'm, when I'm on stage, it's weird for me being in a chair still to this day, because when I'm on stage, uh, like videographers hate me. Like I just move, I, I get like 15,000 steps on a stage. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and um, so I'll, I had all this pent up energy and all these pent up thoughts. And I was like, right, I'm going to do this Twitch thing. And the original idea was I was going to stream on a Sunday night as my downtime, air quotes for the audience, uh, as my downtime. And if mental health comes up as a topic, then I'll, I'll 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 put things on the screen that say that you can talk about your mental health, and I'll use that as a way to be like I'm gaming. If no one wants to talk, if someone wants to talk, then you know whatever we'll talk. And then and and it turns out that I can't multitask at all. I have spent my entire year in life playing video games, and I've never been talking to people whilst doing it. So. So every single time, if anything good in the conversation happened, the game would have to be paused, and then I'd have to, I couldn't, I'd have to talk to chat and all the rest of it, and and so, but then it turned out that it wakes me up more than anything on the face of the planet. Like streaming is is exhausting, by the way. It's weird. I mean, I've worked a bunch of different jobs, um, 
in my life and streaming is oddly really really tiring um so like i do sympathize with anyone especially people who actually find gaming streaming harder than talking streaming uh because like you know especially if you're playing the same game like i don't really do i don't do games on stream anymore at all and um i set myself this goal saying i'll know i've made it when i don't even have to play the game because we're just talking about mental health and i think so i started streaming in march and i think we hit that by the october of that year of the first year and yeah so we went so we have a community that's there's about we've got about three thousand followers on there but it's i would say the community is probably about 250 that are in our discord if, it, if we've not had a stream where all 250 of them turned up or anything we get about 30 to 40 per stream but i used to run something in real life um which was well in the three-dimensional world we don't call it in real life because we're still talking to real life humans when we're online and um, we call it afk now away from keyboard um but the um now when i when i started streaming there there was there was some some streamers doing bits and pieces of mental health but like it being like how i was doing it which was we game and we dip into mental health as and when it's done and there was a couple of talk shows like that where like that literally delved into mental health but even those would be what's called variety streamers so they'd do a talk show one day they'd do stream in the other uh when to my knowledge and i i always say to my knowledge because i it's you know i know there are streamers out there that i don't know about and stuff i was one of the first to just go 100 percent chatting and there was another channel called up for the challenge who he he went 100 percent chatting but then wanted to game so he set up a second challenge channel to channel to game on and um i you know i'm friends with a lot of the other mental health streamers now and um there is a lot there's quite a lot of us a lot of us run talk shows and stuff and it's um it's nice we all work together it's like i because another thing that i absolutely love is the idea of collaboration not competition and that's one thing i've used the mental health blog awards for for two years now is whoever i'm in a shortlist with it's like right these are my new friends um, so that's how i met bpd brian was like two years ago in the in the 2021 blog awards we were up for, um in fact yeah he was he won the category that I was up for against him in last year. So, um, so yeah, and I met a bunch of people through through the Mental Health Blog Awards by thinking, just going with that attitude of like, this isn't, the awards made me aware of people that might not have been on Twitch, but might have been on Instagram or might have been doing a blog somewhere. There's a lot of people, because I wouldn't find blogs otherwise, you say, like I find things through Instagram, through YouTube, whatever. So, um, so I found a lot of blogs through Mental Health Blog Awards as well, which I suppose they are the Mental Health Blog Awards. So that makes sense. But um, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, though, because I, I think there's but where there's so many people creating mental health content online, I sometimes find it quite tricky to find who's active. Yes. Like there are people that are kind of like passively in this space and that's really cool and they're still interesting to talk to. But when you're talking about like collaborations and people to follow and kind of keep up with what they're doing to find people that are really actively engaged sometimes i find that quite difficult because it's such a like oh this is something that i'm i'm i talk about here and there or it's part of my content but it's not the main thing um and that's really cool but even sometimes then it's like it's big gaps in between when it's part of what they're doing or what they're talking about so um yeah it's not always completely obvious who's who's really active so really nice to hear that you've kind of used it no it's uh, well in it that is, way it to the find same people. as well as like you'll go through even in the in the shortlist you'll go through 
and you'll see like okay this is a blog but i don't really want to do interviews and mm. stuff outside of that and a lot of people don't have ideas for what they'd do if they did a collaboration either and i'm guilty mm. of that sometimes if someone says to me do you want to collab i'll be like yeah what have you got in mind and if they've not got anything in mind i'll be like podcast exchange it's like, <laughs> and it's like because i've not done i've not done as many sort of collaborative projects outside of podcasts as i would like to it's always a pretty much a podcast mm. but yeah so over the two and a bit years that we've done it now um what in october of 2019 i had this idea of creating something um which was a mental endurance event versus a fit because i looked at all the things that people do to raise oh, okay. money for charity and it was always physical now I've done marathons, mm. I've done toughest, I've done tough mudders, I've done Europe's toughest mudder, which is a twelve-hour one. Uh, the guy I always did that with went on to do the twenty-four hour one in the in Las Vegas because he's just wow. more of a machine than I than I am. Um, but but yeah, so like I've done all of those events and stuff, and I've done and all of my early charity events were physical, and I just thought, you know what? I'd been talking in schools at this point, and like I'd, I always like to answer, ask the question at the beginning of school talks of what's the first thing that comes to mind <clears throat> when you think of physical health. And people would say, oh, you know, strength, fitness, eating, nutrition, mm. you know, good diet. Like, and I'd say, who's the first person that comes to mind when you think of mental physical health? And people would say, like, The Rock or like <laughs> um, or a, a runner or a football player or a wrestler mm. or something like whoever's like. And, and then you'd say, right, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you say mental health? And people say depression, anxiety, suicide. And then it'd be like, who are the first people that come to mind when you say mental health? And it was always people who'd taken their own life. So it was always like Robin Williams mm. or Chris Cornell or Chester Bennington. And um, it'd always be like, you know, it, it, that's, that's what we think of. The first things that come to our mind when we think physical health are pretty much always positive. They're always athletes, sport. You don't think of, when you don't think of physical health and you don't automatically, your brain doesn't automatically go to a, you know, a disabled person. Like it's, mm. it automatically goes to the, t like the most abled person where, and whereas mm. when we go to mental health, you don't, auto your brain doesn't go to like the most, the world's most intelligent person or the, or like the, the world's most spiritual person, the person with the best mental health in the world, our brain immediately goes to people that have died as a result of poor mental health. So mm. I was like, I wonder if it's possible to change that because I like, you know, big challenges. And um, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, instead of running a physical marathon, I am going to host a mental health marathon. And my aim was to, to do 26.2. I'm not quite sure what the point two was, but it's 26.2 miles in a marathon. But my aim was to do 26 interviews back to back. And it was supposed to be in a physical mm. venue in Liverpool, but you know, COVID. And um, mm. I had a local charity called Sean's Place, who I was going to, I was going to split the charity between them and mind because, you know, it's like when getting people on board with charities, it's like you have to give them something that they care about and you have to, so mm. making it a national event using a local charity, it's like I figured that if I had a national charity as well as a local charity, people would be more generous. Um so, so, so I had like, you know, a bunch of people lined up to come and speak. I didn't have a venue yet, but like I had a date because 26th of February, 26.2, I've got a thing with numbers and, um, and then COVID happened and, uh, and then it was like looking increasingly likely that we weren't going to be back in physical venues by the 26th of the second, 2021. So I did it on Twitch and we, uh, do, we had, we had 26 consecutive interviews from 10, 8 PM on the Friday night until 10 p.m. on the Saturday night. So I interviewed a new person every hour for 26 hours. Uh, and then, because, you know, 
what the runners do when they finish a marathon. Well, some of them go, that's enough. And then some of them go, oh, what's this thing called an ultra marathon? Um, and then on the 3rd of June, 36, three, third of the 6th, um, I actually never ended up being on the 3rd of June. I had to move it back to the 10th of June because the Queen had her oh. diamond jubilee thing on the 3rd of June. So I had to lose my... Um, I had to lose my time slot. Uh, it was supposed to be the third of the sixth. It ended up being the tenth of the sixth. But on the tenth of June this year, we did thirty-six um, back to back. So wow. we did, we started at ten a.m. on the Friday and then finished at ten p.m. on the Saturday. Right. First of all, I did look after my mental health through this. Okay, I took they were forty-five minute interviews and I took the other fifteen minutes as a rest every single hour. But secondly, mm. right, I've done this. I've ran actual physical marathons. And let me tell you something, getting out of bed when you're depressed is harder than both of those things. So people say like, oh, you've done, you've overcome all that. You've done all these things. You've done, yeah, that was, that's so amazing to me, to be honest. Once I started in marathon, I, it just, it, it became inevitable. It was hard. It was horrible. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. fast. I did my first marathon in about six hours and 15 minutes or something. Um, And the same with this event is like, it was difficult at places, but once it started, I just stole the energy off every guest that came on and it, it, it took <laughs> care of itself and like, which is done. And that's, that's the only way I can describe it is that once you start those events, they just take care of themselves. Problem with depression is that it doesn't just take care of itself. It keeps me in bed for days, weeks, months. And mm-hmm. um, so if people want to know like what it's like living with depression, harder than either of those two events, but um, I'm still not quite sure that by doing those events, I convince people that, you know, we should celebrate mental prowess and i'm not even sure if that represents it to be perfectly honest but i mean especially if you listen back to like hours 26 onwards or something it becomes very self-indulgent i'm not the guests (laughs) don't really get to talk i just say whatever pops into my mind and some of it's good but (laughs) some of it's not um but i'm not I, i may have done it for 36 hours but i'm not sure that um i'm not sure that the quality was still that high towards the end but you know, the same as when I'm running, the quality of my first five miles is good. The quality of my last five miles is not good. So, but I just wanted to prove, like, I think, I think that, like, you know, that we can, or we can, if we incrementally work our way up to things, we can achieve so much. And we often think about that in physical stuff. You know, if you incrementally increase the weight, you'll be able to lift more. If you incrementally run a bit further, you'll be able to run more. And the same is true if you incrementally tre- test what your brain's capable of too. But just like with exercise as well, your brain, your, your exercise takes work and recovery in order to actually get better. So does your mental health is it takes work and it takes recovery. I think like you say, I'd, there's lots of different ways that you could kind of look at displaying that strength or, or skill set, I think is in there as well. But I think it, it's the starting and the prompt, isn't it? And um, really interest, yeah. a really interesting challenge. And I, I can draw parallels, I think, with some of the physical challenges I've seen other people do, like 12 and 24-hour challenges that are physical challenges. And, yeah, there are yeah. there are peaks and troughs in there as well. So it's only natural that that, they, that would come across in another form as well. Um I'm very yeah. aware we're kind of running up to our time. And I think there's there's loads more stuff that we could talk about. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to kind of round us off. Uh, I think there's there's lots of really interesting things that you've mentioned. And there's obviously a lot more that we, we, we haven't been able to cover in, in our time today. So if people want to find out a little bit more about you, Dave, and, and some of the things that you've mentioned, um, where are places that they can go to, to hear more from you? 
your favorite social media.com forward slash mindset by Dave. Um, so all of them. So mindset by Dave on on all of them. Um, I weirdly have an update uploaded in about a week, which is unusual for me. Normally I upload every single day. But um, I, do, I basically do the main places are twitch which is twitch.tv slash mindset by dave and that is where we do the live streams we do nine hours of live streaming every single week which is four hours on a tuesday two hours on a thursday three hours i hope that adds up to nine yeah three hours on a friday and we have three different show on a tuesday it's called emotional sandwich which is basically we have open chat about your mental health with the community then we have a guest on and then we go back to open chat about with the community uh thursday is called fill your cup thursday which is basically a lift up stream um not never toxic positivity but always a little bit more tries to be a little bit more in the line of positivity we're not we have an, a, a rule called appropriate vibes only not positive vibes only so if you're <laughs> feeling sad and that's what's appropriate for you that day then you feel it if you're feeling angry that's what's you know we're not going to tell you oh just cheer up and look on the bright side um and then on a friday um it was supposed to be called world to rights which was like everybody in the community comes on the voice chat and talks about a particular topic uh but it's ended up being called story time because one of the community called it that and it was cute and it stuck so um so we actually ask a, a sort of big deliberately make you think about things kind of question um that so for example last week the question was what would you do if the if you knew you couldn't be judged um mm -hmm. so and the secret to that question was that that's what you should be doing anyway because other people's judgments of you does not matter um, like, so that yeah so that's that's what we do on there um, and that's the the most involved way a person can be part of the community um outside of that at all of the other social media so twitter um instagram TikTok, youtube and um, youtube's got a load of stuff on it there's there's podcasts on there there's poems on there there's um these short fire mental health things on there so like i'll do a deep dive on depression for like eight minutes or whatever there's loads of stuff on that one um but yeah so any of that stuff slash mindset by dave amazing thank you so much dave for coming on and, and sharing your lived experience and kind of the journey that you've been on just personally but also as a creator as well i think it's really interesting for people to hear um some of what's gone on there and hopefully they can go over to one of your other platforms as well and, and continue to follow and kind of be part of that journey as well but yeah thank you so much for coming on and sharing it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that this, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it. 
and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. 